I'm Austin. And I'm Anna. And, and this, this is Grits. Join us in reclaiming what it means to be girls raised in the South. Mm-hmm. So let's get gritty. <laughs> okay, well, we're in the closet. We have a new member of Anna's Closet. Who's here? Hello, everybody. <laughs> Hello, Griddles. This is Grits Mama. The Grits Mama of Afton and the Grits friend of co-host Anna. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, we're excited to all be in Anna's closet. Uh, before the pod, my mom asked, can we all fit in there? And I said, yes, it's it's big enough for the three of us. Uh, so we're, we'll provide some updates as we normally do. And then mom, as our field correspondent, has just returned from exotic Bali. Bali, Bali, And Bali. she brought us wonderful gifts. Yeah, it was very thoughtful. I got a purse and she, well, she'll, are you going to talk about the trinkets? And- no, I'm not. Okay, so <laughs> she brought us back some silver <laughs> trinkets that apparently ward the evil off. So I plan mm-hmm. to wear them as earrings as they dangle around the state legislature mm-hmm. so you know just just waltzing waltzing around the halls okay so updates well i had a busy week casual two casual two-day sit-in at the governor's office which was not supposed to happen uh i'm really grateful for the group that i showed up with we had planned this as an escalation from our nine-month campaign to unseat david bird who i've talked about on previous episodes And we showed up thinking that there would be some type of arrest or some type of movement. uh, And they ended up letting us stay in the Capitol for a night. So my boyfriend brought pillows and blankets with his uh, daughter. And Gloria Johnson smuggled them into the Capitol. And she brought (laughs) a bunch of junk food. So we had Doritos and beef jerky. And it was just... apparently (laughs) Chick-fil-A. Okay. Well, Chipotle came later. So <laughs> that didn't sound like a sit-in as much as a pajama party. Thank you. Thank you, Mom. It was a pajama party at the governor's office. That's right. Uh, apparently, it was the first time in two decades that they had allowed people to spend the night in the Capitol. So, obviously, we were white women. They felt we were not very threatening. And they let us stay the night. So, I caught up on Game of Thrones and Twitter uh, all night. Uh, so, that what was... What did you think about it oh, as yeah. her mother? I didn't want her to get arrested. Mm-hmm. Well, I just didn't. Well, ha- having to having gone to law school for a brief stint, I yeah. know what that can do to a future. But what would you say with John Lewis being arrested over twenty times in his in his lifetime? Well, for a purpose of civil rights and and justice, and it worked for him. And I can't say I disagree with that, but I can't say that. If I talked with his mother, would his mother say, I'm happy he was arrested 21 John times? John Lewis's mother, know. if you were listening on the pod, please give us a call. We would love to hear uh, your thoughts about that. So, yeah, and we ended up, uh, the sit-in lasted for about 48 hours. I went home to take a shower, and as I was getting out of the shower, I received a phone call that uh, the women who were still at the Capitol were getting arrested. So, scurried on over there. And they were issued citations for trespassing, and they'll be in court in June. But um, it's pretty sad that all we were asking was for the governor to release a statement on his position about David Byrd. Uh, and unfortunately, he couldn't even do that. So we are still escalating the campaign. We plan to have a series of, um, you know, the legislature is still in session for about two more weeks. So we're trying to amp it up. And then uh, we will have community meetings across the state about this issue to try and build support and a movement base that we can get some traction perhaps in, in 2020. 
Okay, so did you know that when you were having your tussle? Thank you. That the governor was with Governor Bevin of uh, Kentucky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So actually, and I was supposed to be at that event. So Governor Bevin mm-hmm. of Kentucky, which I also have a state, and Governor Lee were speaking at Belmont uh, about criminal justice reform on a panel together. And I was actually supposed to be at that event to be recording and asking questions to Bevin for my Kentucky groups. And I, I didn't make it. I was still at the mm-hmm. Capitol. So yeah, kind of, kind of crazy how that worked out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the second thing that happened to me this week is I was able to travel to Eastern Kentucky to see some of my groups out there. And I am just, oh, they're just amazing, 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 doing amazing work. Uh, so Appalachia is going through this just tr- transition from the coal era into renewable energy, solar panels, um, you know, for example, putting solar panels on top of mountains that have been stripped via uh, coal mining. And the groups are really trying to utilize the space and discussion in the lens of 2020 to talk about environmental issues. So they're really interested in holding town halls about the Green New Deal. And it just so happens that Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, affectionately known as AOC in the progressive world, I guess engaged with Representative Andy Barr, who beat out Amy McGrath for a congressional district in Kentucky which was Lex- includes Lexington, but is a lot of coal country. And they got in, they were engaging with one another and Andy Barr invited her to come back to Eastern Kentucky and AOC invited him to come back to the Bronx. And of course he declined. And then when she said, oh yeah, I'll go to Eastern Kentucky and talk about the Green New Deal. And he totally backtracked. So now the groups are trying to promote the idea of uh, town halls all across coal country and trying to lure her into Eastern Kentucky to uh, talk about the Green New Deal and how address transition to Appalachia fits into all of this and there will be jobs. And um, so I'm excited to see what materializes as a result. Anna, how was your week? It was good. Busy. I (laughs) bought a house on Saturday with my fiance. Um, So I've been doing a lot of adult things the last week. Where's the Um, house? It is on your street. <laughs> <laughs> so for those of you that think I'm annoying, which I'm sure there's a lot of you, just know that there are people who would move two blocks down from me. Not my mom. <laughs> no way. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's super exciting. We saw it Friday night. It was listed Saturday morning. We were the first showing. There were eight more showings after us, and we put in the first offer, and they took our offer. And wow. so, congratulations! We, uh, yeah, thanks. We avoided a bidding war, which is kind of the, the norm. Um, the norm. norm. If something is priced well in a good location, it's usually like a knockout drag down fight. So, we avoided that and are finalizing everything in the next few weeks. Which is we really broke the news exciting. to the cats that they will no longer be. Bougie. Yeah, they won't be downtown mid- midtown cats anymore. Um, but I think they will appreciate the backyard. We're gonna have to build a little a little enclosure for them. So I'm scared. A little cat run. Yeah, they need they need um my grandma has this like built in thing. She doesn't have cats anymore, so she just tore it down. But she has like uh almost like a screened in porch for cats and it's got like tons of like cat condos and like things for them to climb on and stuff. Yeah. Um so it's you know, I'm worried being in such a kind of urban area for them to run in the street and stuff, but I can't wait for East Nashville Cribs and they go to your house. You're like, This is the cat <laughs> portion of the house. <laughs> My cats have a, their own sunroom, and <laughs> I wouldn't put it past you. Yeah, I'm. I'm actually planning on it. Um. So yeah, that's really exciting. That's it. Block grant Colin Day. 
Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, we came up with that yesterday. It's great. So uh, call the governor and the lieutenant governor and tell Just them Just call to... everyone in the state legislature <laughs> and tell them what a terrible job So it's doing. actually, uh, yeah, I've talked about blog grants a little bit in previous episodes. They're terrible, but apparently Trump personally asked Marsha Blackburn to personally ask state legislators to lead the way on block grants and because they're so dumb because it's actually it's in the federal government's interest and it's against the state's interest but they're so dumb that they can't even understand that that it's going to hurt the state budget so much but they just like the idea of it because of welfare block grants and or i don't know because trump said it or something but it is up for a senate vote on tuesday and it already passed in the house so seems imminent just briefly so we yesterday or today was uh Mm -hmm. the senate voted on the voucher bill, which basically dismantled our public education system today. Uh, oh, just in Nashville and Memphis. <laughs> oh, yeah. Just just in the counties with a disproportionately African-American <laughs> student population, but it's fine. And what I think is really interesting from the public education movement is that a lot of teachers voted for Trump and Governor Lee is a Republican. And I think the reckoning they're having right now to think that vouchers, the education Union has been able to hold off vouchers in the state for about six years, and since the first year they haven't. And I think it's, I'm I'm excited to see what new leaders and new organizing opportunities arise from this really bad voucher bill because it's they're going to try to spread it across and propagate it across the state. So mm-hmm. you know it's just Nashville and Shelby right now, but just wait. So I'm excited and to see what happens the next year. In 2018, the, there was a big wave of teachers. Like in Oklahoma and Wisconsin, right. and there was a lot of education leaders. Yeah, and they talked yeah. about, my mom and I attended a book reading about, it's called The Reckoning. Appalachia Reckoning, I think. Appalachia Reckoning, and it's uh, to oppose, is that the right Well, word? to be a counterpoint of what Appalachia is really like, the counterpoint being What's representing Appalachia since summer of 2016 is J.D. Vance's book, Hillbillyology, which is really not representative of Appalachia at all, having lived in the area for 25 years and dealt with people in the area from all walks of life while I inspect their beehives in their backyards (laughs) or on their farms or in their cow pastures. Yeah, J.D. Vance, you didn't include any beekeeper accounts. Yes, and (laughs) somebody who grew up in southeastern Ohio that uh, only went to Appalachia for summer vacations and so forth, to me, isn't real representative of what true Appalachia is about. In this program we were at tonight at Parnassus Books in Nashville, the four uh, people on the panel said that exactly. Um, one was from Virginia originally and a professor at the University of Tennessee. One was originally from Western North Carolina and a professor at uh, Bowdoin in Maine. And one was a community person working on economic development in Berea, Kentucky. And the other person was a professor at Western Kentucky University. So, to me, when you're living in the middle of it and or from the area, you have a better idea of what it's about than if you're somebody whose family is just from the area and you're by osmosis part of that. And as I said to Anna and her fiance earlier tonight, that J.D. Vance's book to me was not a different family story than many families in America have. For instance, family members of ours in Arizona 
family members of ours in the Chicago area with drug problems and uh, economic problems that one of the panelists said that he felt that hillbillyology was more about economic issues than it was really about Appalachian issues per se and yeah. economic issues yeah. that affect everyone in this country in some way, shape or form. That's right. So, and I think JD Vance had a really, I won't, I won't say neutered response to Appalachia, but that it's very static. And I think that that neglected the uh, intense and historical prevalence of labor organizing in Appalachia from the labor movement and the coal miners and that they were picketing, they were striking. And so one of the audience members brought up that the teachers had gone on strike mm-hmm. in West Virginia, and then it came down to Kentucky. And I was actually in Frankfurt the last day of the Kentucky legislature in February, where over um, you know, these counties went on strike. The, the teachers were striking for about six days and the removal of labor from Kentucky really prompted a response and put the legislators on notice. And they ended up not passing. They also have the same makeup in their legislature that we do. They have a supermajority in the House and the Senate and they weren't able to pass the voucher bill. And so to see in stark contrast, Kentucky versus Tennessee, it was just really striking to me. So <laughs> striking strikes. Uh, anyway, so we have a great episode ready for you, locked and loaded. Thank you. Third time I've said that in a row. Uh, so our field correspondent, Julianne Bain, field correspondent back from Bali. <laughs> Can always count on Afton to add a little music Thank to you. the situation. <laughs> I was, was I singing when I was born? You were screaming when you were born, and you've never stopped since, so okay. (laughs) All right. Cool. All right, so we're going to talk about Bali, and um, listening to your last podcast, I know you announced to everyone that I had been there. I thought it was going to be a secret, so, (laughs) but that's okay. I'm going to start this travel log like I did the other one, and I'm going to say up front that the opinions expressed in this podcast are mine and mine alone. They're not my Grit's daughter, Afton, or her co-host, Anna's, or her cat, Grit's father, oh, okay. yep. <laughs> or any Grit's animal. So just <laughs> say, say that. and Winston did not approve. <laughs> yeah. And then I want to say again, yet again, that I hope this podcast will be deemed Grit's worthy. Always. When all is said is and done. So um, can I start? Yeah. And Anna and I will just jump yeah. in. At, at our oh, leisure. I figured that because I can see the whites of your eyes. So I figure you can <laughs> interrupt and ask questions and have a little conversation and all that. Um, let me just say that I, in my whole entire lifetime, would have never thought that I would have ever gone to a place like Bali. And for one thing, it's very far away. It's very rare to be able to go there. It's an island that, to me, conjures up uh, visions of young people like you two in bikinis, sporting Mm. tans, laying on the beach, uh, maybe snorkeling, scuba diving. You, You associate Bali with tropical, lush paradise, right? And and that's what it was. It really was. Is the minute you got off the plane, you could feel this wall of steamy heat coming to you and you're like oh yeah this is going to be the tropics and in fact bali is not far from the equator but i need to also say a little bit about bali 
in that Bali is one island of the Indonesian archipelago. And Indonesia is a country made up of over 14,000 islands. And population-wise, it's the fourth most populated country on the planet after the United States, which I was shocked at. And it's also a country that's majority Muslim. Hmm. In fact, it's got the largest population of Muslims of any country. I mean, yeah. Wow. And that way, so that surprised me. However, Bali is over 80% Hindu. And then the next religious group representation is Muslim. And then there's a very small Christian population and a very small Buddhist population. And I asked a guide we had one day, do you have any Jewish people here? And he goes, what is Jewish? (laughs) So so, (laughs) so I took it it that they did not have that. Um, Bali has a lot more to offer than just beaches, which I was very pleasantly surprised at. They have a volcano that um, a number of years ago did erupt, and it caused the airport to shut down for a while. You can hike the area. They also have a UNESCO World Heritage Site in the central part of the island that they consider it the cradle of their culture. And so they have a lot of batik making there and silver working, which Bali is known for silver, beautiful silver jewelry. And part of the UNESCO World Heritage Site are these rice paddies, and they've been there for hundreds of years, and they have a special way to irrigate them. Mm. And so they decided to make that, that was that special enough to show a human world culture endeavors that they designated it a World Heritage Site. And that was stunning to see. Mm. And then interspersed with these rice paddies that you can actually hike through, are palm trees and banana plants and some coffee trees. And it was really just stunning. Also, did you ladies know that there was a film, part of it was shot in Bali, Eat, Pray, Love? Oh, Mm -hmm. did you know that? No, I didn't know that. So the eat part was about, uh, so the book is a travelogue biography of this woman who after her divorce, decided to travel for a year and kind of find herself and figure out what she wanted to do with her life, so on and so forth. And it's based on her travel experience. So the Eat part of Eat, Pray, Love, the title of the book, which was also turned into a movie starring Julia Roberts, right? So Eat was set in Italy. And Mm -hmm. having been there and eaten my way through Italy, I thought that was a great, (laughs) a good place to start with Eat. The prey part of the movie was about India. Mm. And having been to India, I can say you definitely say a lot of prayers while you're there. Um, More than the South? Maybe comparable. (laughs) And it's a very spiritual place, too. uh, That's for sure. And then the love part was set in Bali. And a lot of the scenes were shot in this World UNESCO Heritage Site area Mm. because that's where this author had gone you know, looking around and touring and was living there. And she met a man from Brazil, a businessman from Brazil that was in Bali. And so that was really interesting to see that part of the island based on that. I also want to tell your listeners that if you go... Well, you're one of them. And I am one of them at times. Although... There's two more, your mom and Kristen. Yes, we need to get some other people on here. Um, If you Google Bali... I'm going to warn you, if you just Google Bali, B-A-L-I, when I first Googled it, it pulled up 
Bali brand bras, mm. Bali window blinds, of which I have some in my house, although this is not an endorsement of Bali window blinds. <laughs> but you can sponsor Bali us blinds, if, like. if you yes. are in the podcast market, please know that yes. we could use you. So go ahead. <laughs> so you want to put in Bali Indonesia, okay? And <laughs> That's good and That's then that it. will come up. Of course, maybe it was just me. We all know that I'm not the most computer literate person. Okay. I think you have a little bit of an idea of Bali and what it's mm-hmm. about. On my first touring day in Bali, I went to see a Hindu temple that belongs to one of the royal families on the island. Ooh. And are they still there? Well, the families are all there. They tend to divide the island up symbolically now, whereas before it used to be more territorial. Also, I thought was very interested, interesting in Bali is that uh, almost every family has their own altar, Hindu altar in their yard. Uh, and every community has a community altar. Huh. And then you have the bigger Hindu temples that are usually based on either a bigger family or a geographic, bigger geographic area or a royal family situation, which the first Hindu temple I've I went to in Bali was this royal family's temple. And the temples there are very unusual. Again, you can Google Bali and we'll Indonesia and see pictures. We'll there's some photos on Instagram. Yeah, we can yeah. put some on there. Um, they're very high and they're very layered with like some kind of palm frond or something. They're they're very different, even as compared to India to me. They, they were just very different. As in most tourist places in the world, including in Bali, this temple was open to tourists, and so you had to buy a ticket to get in there. Well, one of the things that really surprised me is next to the payment booth was a sign that said, menstruating ladies are strictly not allowed to enter the temple. <laughs> and it was both, it, obviously it was both English and Indonesian, because I can read English, Well, right? well. Was there someone checking? Was there- <laughs> and yeah, it was that's what I asked. So I... And I'll tell you a little more about this later, but we had a driver hired from the hotel. He was a local and I was sharing the vehicle and the driver with a Canadian couple and a woman from Cleveland, Ohio. And we were all part of the same business group that your dad was involved with, which was why we were in Bali. And I remember saying to Rachel, the lady from Ohio, it's like, have you ever seen anything like that? And she was as shocked as I was. And then I asked her the same way, how would they know? I mean, do you raise your hand and you volunteer like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm not going to buy a ticket after all. I'm menstruating. (laughs) I also found out that if you're a woman and you've had a baby, you're not allowed to visit a Hindu temple within the first six weeks of having that baby. Why? Because they're assuming you're still menstruating, probably, Mm. is what I'm thinking. I, I, I have no idea. I didn't ask. I should have probably asked, but I didn't. (laughs) (laughs) But I guess what I can say is seeing that sign, it made me realize how in many cultures, religion really can, I guess, definitely segregate women Mm -hmm. out of the mainstream of the community, the communal life in the area. But also to me, in some ways, I looked at that as a form of discrimination. Yeah. And it bothered me. Yeah. But you sent me a photo. And yeah. I, was, and I, I know. I, I sent you a photo from Bali. Like, can and I think you I just, this? I just responded U G H H H H H. Yeah. I mean, what can you say? Um, I will say though, in Hindu temples where men and women 
upon entering a temple are relatively equal is in the Hindu, well, in Bali anyway, in the Hindu faith, your knees have to be covered whether you're a man or woman. And so do your shoulders and upper arms. So that's why they have at all these temples a sarong, a colored, it's a um, solid colored sarong. And the color of the sarong has something to do with maybe the color of that particular temple or a specialness to it. So at this temple, that color was lime green, kind of a yeah, dark lime green. And then some temples, not only do you get a sarong to wear, whether you're a man or woman, so you kind of put it around you and belt it at your waist, but they also, some of them have a sash to wear. So at another Hindu temple later on that I visited with your dad, that temple sarong was purple. Your oh, dad, saw, had, your oh, dad had to wear one. We saw the yeah. photo. Can you post it? On yeah, we can post that of him. Yeah. So he had to wear. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> he had to wear that, and we both had to wear an orange sash, <laughs> which orange being the color of Tennessee? of Tennessee of Go sorts. Balls. If, mm-hmm. if, if you're East Tennessee, you. if you're Vanderbilt, it would be black and gold. But anyway, it you know we kind of giggled about that. But yeah, you could probably. I don't think you'd have a problem with you posting that. So, um, <laughs> um, the, the other thing that I learned this was interesting is in a Hindu temple, the male worshippers at the temple, which the temple is, you're sitting outside, and then the temple area itself is kind of a raised platform from there. So everything's outside. with some yeah, pretty much yes, all outside because the weather's always. I mean, it may be raining, which what did pour later that day, but it's still fairly good weather to them. I mean, I was just about dying in the heat and humidity, but, you know, that was me. But the male worshipers, they sit cross-legged, and the women are expected to kneel on their knees. And the reason for this is because feet are considered unclean in Bali, and no one should be pointing their feet at a shrine or altar in a Hindu temple. So that's the reason for that. Now, for me, visiting... You can't, you can't see me right now, but I'm pointing my feet to my mom, and I'm trying to... <laughs> oh, excuse me, allergies. Now, whenever I travel in a country, I try to read up beforehand and try to see what the customs are. Like in some places, there's things you shouldn't wear or things you shouldn't do, especially because when I go with your dad on a trip, he's usually in business meetings and I'm touring and sometimes I'm touring alone. So you want to be sure you're safe. Well, one of the things in my reading before I even got there was women need to dress modestly. You need to keep your knees covered and, you know, make sure that your shoulders, that whole thing. So when I was going to these temples, I never had any issue touring them because I was already dressed appropriately. But your dad, on the other hand, wearing shorts, his knees... Dad was the problem. His knees were showing, so he had to wear the purple sarong. <laughs> so Trust me, we'll post the photo, Grindel. Story. You'll, yeah. you'll, get, you'll, get, you'll get the Dr. Bruce K. Bain look. Oh, Okay, so as I mentioned earlier, uh, we had a driver... And he was on the phone a lot while he was driving, <laughs> which kind of his cell phone, which kind of bothered all of us because in Bali, there, as in most third world countries that you go to, there are a lot of, like China would be an example, people of all ages on the back of like motor scooters. I can't even see mm-hmm. their motorcycles because motorcycles are bigger. Although we did see a Harley Davidson dealership on Bali, which mm-hmm. was really interesting. Oh. 
And there's like hundreds and there's, or it seems like thousands of them. And they're weaving in between cars and they're next to you. And Was the traffic worse than Bolivia? Yes. Or wow. as, as bad. Wow. As bad in a different way, though, because of these motorcycles. However, I or, or scooters. However, I never saw anybody on a scooter on a cell phone, but many times we saw up to four people on one little scooter. And sometimes like it would be a mom with two little kids and the husband driving and the baby would be in her lap and the other little kid would be hanging onto her behind on her waist from behind. And I'm just, I can't even imagine anyway. So when you'd be stopped in traffic right before it would start up. You'd hear everybody's engines revving and it would sound like a swarm of bees Mm -hmm. getting ready to fall right at home. So I felt pretty at home there. So I'll get back to why our driver was on the phone a lot. Um, Okay. So the other thing I want to mention about, I said earlier that I was touring with a Canadian couple and a woman from Cleveland, Ohio, and the Canadian couple within like the first half hour of, driving to get to these tourist sites, turned to me especially, and she says, my husband and I are exceedingly embarrassed for Americans because of Donald Trump. Thank you. <laughs> Say it for the people in the back. <laughs> and the woman from Cleveland, right away, she looked away and hung her head down. And so I could tell the Canadian nice. woman got it that, oh, she's a Trump supporter. Maybe we better not say much more. <laughs> but... What occurred to me is the summer of 2016, which is when he was running for the presidency because the election was November 2016, starting that summer, the day after Brexit, we were in Italy on another business trip, sitting at a table with eight British people, and they were all glum because of Brexit, because they did not want to, they voted against leaving the EU, and they turned to your dad and I and said, well, you have your own problem with Donald Trump. And, <laughs> and we're like, okay. And then they wanted to know, well, what do you think were, are his odds of winning? And they were shocked when I said 80%. Yeah. They were absolutely shocked and they wanted to know why. And it gave them my reasons why. And okay. So yeah, Donald Trump did win. So ever since then though, wherever I travel to, Every time we get asked about Trump and people around the world just cannot believe that (laughs) Americans elected him our president and they always ask why. And there's always conversations about this. And a lot of these countries have the same issues going on in their countries as we have here. Right. Just in different, different forms. Right. Yeah. Right. You've got so, Duarte in the Philippines. Brexit was similar. Brexit is an example because that's people unhappy that they felt like they were left out and left behind. Reverting toward, towards isolationism more, and protectionism. And more populism. Right. Populism is big all over now. Right. So I always feel like I'm on the Trump apology tour on every trip. <laughs> I'm waiting for that question because I don't bring it up, but it's always brought up. So that was really interesting. And later that night when we all got back to the hotel and I was starving, I went down to the hotel restaurant to eat and the Canadian couple were in the restaurant. So they motioned for me to join them, which I did. And the whole three hours we talked about politics. Of course. And amazingly, it was very interesting because we have our American evangelicals here, which most of them voted for Trump and still have a very high approval of what Trump mm-hmm. does. Yep. And they, this couple were Canadian evangelicals. 
And so what was interesting with them is that I'm going to quote a couple of things the lady said. Her name is Barb. Barb said, would someone want their children to act and talk like Trump? And I said, nah, I wouldn't want my children talking and acting like that. So remember that, please. <laughs> and then she said, would Jesus have approved of Trump's behavior? No. And I said, not any Jesus that I'm familiar with. But mm-hmm. I do know family members that are very happy with him. So I guess what I want to say, that's probably a whole topic for another podcast. Definitely. But but it's really interesting as to how often this comes up in every single country. And it turned out that... Just a side note, mm-hmm. uh, one of our state... So a perk of being part of a state legislature is that you get to travel abroad. So you may, like particularly in Tennessee, they have a very meager salary, uh, but they get these opportunities to travel. And one of those was Jeremy Faison, who's upper kind of Northeast Tennessee rural state house rep. And on his Twitter, he was saying that he was going to Belgium and I don't know him that well, but I tweeted, I subtweeted him and just said, I'm so thankful that you get this opportunity because you'll understand how, devastating Trump has been for our country in a, in a foreign lens. Never responded, but I'm sure he went on the trip and I'm, and I'm so thankful. So hopefully maybe you opened his eyes up right. to at least be well, hearing at least people. The conversations that he'll have. And I think it's so, I mean, traveling and that's something that I continuously talk about on this pod and to everyone in my life is that the greatest gift that you and dad ever gave me were these opportunities to travel because it's, it's just my world the lens in which I look at the world is so different than so many of my friends because of traveling and young and that's what travel can do for you I know I didn't start traveling until my 30s and uh yeah it's eye-opening it's eye-opening to see how other people live as well not just the conversations but how they live like Americans really have very grand big places that they live in and in the cars. And most people, especially in Europe, use mass transportation. I mean, just whole different lifestyles. And Bali was no different that way too, especially when you see these little motor scooters that that's the main transportation of a little family. You know, it really makes you, but on this Bali trip, that wasn't the only time that I was asked about Trump. We were on, a bus with this business group and we were on our way to dinner. We were having dinner at an Indonesian, a real Indonesian house, a beautiful, I guess I would call it a long house. Very beautiful air conditioned though. And most mm-hmm. Indonesian houses are not, but we went there and we had a traditional Balinese meal. And then they had Balinese dancers, which, which were just stupendously gorgeous and wonderful. And you know, the music and, and that's where the little jewelry pieces, they, you know, a lot of them wear that. So, and the person who was the host for that business meeting, who's from Jakarta, which is on the island of Java. So that would be the capital of Indonesia. He asked us about Trump as well. And, you know, again, what can you say? And they want our daughters in the Thick of it fighting Trump. Well, we did say our daughter's a political activist. Thank you. And <laughs> and working to help better things. And her and her podcast mate who's working on the policy end of things. <laughs> yes, and knows, you know, a lot of people. Good. A lot you, plug, of, you plug grits? A lot of no. A lot <laughs> we'll of get young you some people. Cards so you can hand them out. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for grits. <laughs> <laughs> in any country I go to, yeah, <laughs> listen to grits. Thank you. But 
anyway, it's just very interesting. But to tell you why our driver was on the phone all the time. So it turns out that his sister is running for political office and he's her campaign manager. <laughs> and, and I was telling Afton earlier this evening that it's mandated by law in Indonesia that political parties, when they're doing their parliamentary primaries, they have to have 30% of the people running have to be female, have to be women. Mm-hmm. Now, not necessarily that at the end of the election that a woman wins, but they're trying to get more women involved in the oh, government as a whole. And in some areas of their country, the representation for women is over 22%. Wow. Which I think is very amazing, considering that it's a mostly Muslim country. Yeah. that's a, Because that's even in our country, I think I heard our representation in Congress is women is maybe 25%. Yeah, I don't know. If, yeah, yeah, it's less than 30. And I'm thinking 22 isn't bad when you have a Muslim country. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I'm going to tell you the very last story is about a rare special coffee. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to bring another movie up here. Oh, God. Okay. okay. So Jack Nicholas, Nicholas. Not Nickel. That, oh, that's the golfer. <laughs> Jack Nicholson. Nicholson, Nicholas. Thank you. <laughs> mush, mush. Potato, potato. Jack Nicholson and Morgan Freeman starred in a movie called The Bucket List. Mm-hmm. Have you seen that, I've Anna? I've heard of it, but okay. I haven't seen I bet it. Sandy's seen it. So I'm essentially, sure. it's a story of two men that meet in a hospital. Both are diagnosed with terminal cancer. And one is very wealthy and white, Jack Nicholson. Classic. One is not wealthy and not white, Morgan Freeman. Classic. And they become friends and in the process, and it's kind of hazy because I haven't seen the movie in a long time, but Jack Nicholson makes a list up of things he wants to do before he dies. And he decides to take Morgan Freeman with him to do this. And Morgan Freeman's wife is not happy about this. Mm-hmm. But in the end, I think at the end of the movie, she kind of is that glad that he got to do this. Well, one of the things on the bucket list is to go to Indonesia and try this Kopi K-O-P-I, Luwak, L-U-W-A-K, coffee, because it's a very rare coffee from a very hard-to-get-to place, frankly. Mm -hmm. Okay, and so let me tell you why this coffee is so special. And I'll also say it must be something with men, but your dad was beside himself and so happy (laughs) to visit a coffee plantation where we were going to be able to taste a cup of this Kopi Luwak coffee. Because he remembered it from the bucket mm-hmm. list, for one thing. And it is very rare. And to be in the country where it's essentially made is is great. Mm-hmm. Let me give you a background on the coffee. Starting in the 1600s, the Dutch colonized Indonesia. And for over 300 years, they did not allow the locals to make coffee from the coffee beans that were directly taken off the trees. And coffee grow, does grow indigenously in Indonesia. So the Dutch confiscated the coffee trees for themselves and either drank the coffee themselves or mostly exported it. So the, the locals decided, how can we be able to have coffee anymore when we're forbidden from it by our Dutch colonial masters? So they found out that an animal called, that's in the mongoose family, it's called a civet, C-I-V-E-T, 
um, eats the coffee berries as they're ripened on the tree and then goes off and does its thing. But the coffee berries are not really consumed. They're pooped out by these civets. So the locals would then pick up the coffee beans covered in poop and then take them back to their homes and they'd wash them up and clean them up and then grind them and make it into coffee and then, you know, coffee grinds and then mm-hmm. brew the coffee, right? And that was their coffee. Well, as a result of this, it was found that the coffee itself is is not bitter. It's not, doesn't have an oily residue to it and it's not bitter and it's very tasty. And because of trying to find these coffee beans that have been pooped out, which takes a lot of work to do this in the jungles and the rice paddies of these islands, it makes it that much more rare and expensive. So here you go. What is it? 300 and well, 400 years later, because 1602, I think is when the Dutch first came to Indonesia. So now this coffee is one of the rarest, most expensive coffees in the world. And people want that coffee over the regular coffee that's growing on the trees that's turned into ground coffee. So go Mm -hmm. figure, right? Mm -hmm. So Dad was all excited because, and we can post these pictures too, because he has a PowerPoint presentation that he showed at work to his staff because we brought... About the poop coffee? Yeah, about this (laughs) Kopi Luwak coffee because... He brought it back and made a pot of it. We bought little bags of coffee. So to give you an idea, some of the coffee, I can't remember if it's a one-pound bag or five-pound bag, is just under $1,000. And a little bag of coffee that makes just 12 cups is like $36. So to buy. And that's when you're buying it on the island. But if you get on the internet, that's where it can get like just under $1,000 because by the time... You have the middleman involved and you're shipping it all these places you're adding to the price, right? So your dad made a pot of coffee for his staff and he gave them each a little Dixie cup and he wouldn't let them put cream or sugar in it and they had to try it. And then he gave them the whole story with the PowerPoint presentation. <laughs> and I'm sure about He's such a professor. The, like, the bucket like, list movie. Here's my presentation on coffee. <laughs> but you want people to know what they're drinking and why it, is it special, right? Mm-hmm. right? Sure. Okay. Yeah. So he did that, and he sent me the PowerPoint for you to post if you want. So we tried the coffee, and it was great, but my pellet isn't that distinctive. I could tell it wasn't as bitter, but to me, did it really taste that different from others? Well, if I could have added sugar and cream, maybe I would have said that, but we've got a little bag that once I start to feeling better, I'll make a, you know a cup here for myself and probably for grandma and and so that we can both taste it and see. So that's kind of the last story that was real exciting. Now, I will say the picture that I think you're going to post of Dad with the purple sarong. So we were at a temple that's along the ocean, a Hindu temple that was stunningly gorgeous, the location was. But it's also well known for its little monkeys that steal the eyeglasses and sunglasses and hats off the tourists. And so we were told, we were warned, don't wear any jewelry when you go. Don't wear your eyeglasses, so forth. So dad was ready to do battle. He's like, I'm going to beat those monkeys at their own game. <laughs> only only we got there at one in the afternoon. And they were pretty much taking a siesta, right? <laughs> and they were picking stuff off each other and could have cared less about any tourists. But they know when the ceremony begins at the Hindu temple because they know the tourists want to see it. 
So then the monkeys all come out to steal everything, and that's at six in the evening. So we miss that. And what do they do with all the things? Is there a monkey black market? This is, I personally think they've got a big cache of sunglasses and glasses in the jungle, and they're selling them, and somebody's posting it for them on the internet, and they're making the bundle of money for the temple, (laughs) because that's how much are stolen. But anyway, so that's our Bali trip, some of the highlights and interesting Well, I brought some, so you bought me some of the... Coffee, coffee, and Chris refuses to drink it. Why? So, because if you're making it as coffee, it's hot water. Well, it's I told him I was like, anything. if you're gonna date, if we're gonna date, you're gonna have to drink and eat exotic things. You're just gonna have to get used to it. Because <laughs> remember how? Think of all the things. So all the things we've eaten. We've eaten kangaroo, wallaby, oh, ostrich, ostrich. Oh, I've had ostrich. Yeah, ostrich. Um, Alligator. I ate an eyeball in Morocco. You ate eyeball. Dad's eating monkey brains in India. Guinea Um, pig. Guinea pig. A guinea pig in Peru. Um, It it? it tastes just like chicken. (laughs) I wouldn't know the difference. You know, I mean, you know, because of the shape of what you're eating, but otherwise. (laughs) But what was sad is at the time is we had pet guinea pigs. So to think that we were in Peru eating a guinea pig. (laughs) It's a delicacy. One of their cousins. Butterscotch but, and Daisy May would have understood. But, but it's <laughs> very true that whenever you travel, you've got to yeah, be willing to experiment somewhat. You know, I mean, not too far out of line. The sad part is in so many countries of the world, you can't drink the water, including in some cities in our own country, like mm-hmm. Flint, Michigan. And Bali was no different. So brushing your teeth or drinking a glass of water it always had to be bottled water which then creates another problem in that you have plastic right Mm -hmm. and plastic's a real big issue in all the countries that have coastlines right right. and bali's no exception there's really bad areas there that are filled with plastic the tourist sites are not and they're pristine and beautiful but there's as humans we yeah Number one, you need to try new things and be adventurous. But number two, also realize there are some limitations to what you're trying. But I can understand why he would not want to try that coffee from the standpoint of where it's been. It's fine. They're packaging it. It's being sold for $36. For a real small amount in Bali, which that bag would probably be a lot more than that here to sell it. But So did you miss the kids on this trip? No. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> no Bolivia rebuttal no uh round no. two where no. are y'all going together next you have any plans Don't, we're discussing discussing so mom and I take a, a mom daughter trip once a year we do haven't we we didn't last we went year. to Italy Bulgaria no wait Italy. Italy, but that was like three years ago. And then... And I met you in Switzerland when you worked at the United Nations. Right, Switzerland. Right. And then we came back for a cross-country road trip. And then oh, we that's did true. last year. We haven't done anything. No. But we're actually looking into... Oh, no, have, Denver. Oh, Wait. No, no, no. We're actually looking into, but haven't decided yet, that maybe Iceland. In the off-season. my 30th. <laughs> but we will see. You know, we don't. It's I like don't know. they hate traveling with us, but they love traveling with us. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bittersweet experience. <laughs> it's like they love having us around, but they hate. <laughs> I get, I get tired of always being told how old I am and that I'm slowing down. <laughs> and it's like 
Yes, I'm in my that's early true. 60s. That's true. But, but I do hike. so much better than most of my friends. But think about, but think about the, the island in Bolivia. Like you, well, you got hiked up. And think about there. we were at 14,000 feet and another couple friend of mine, which he was a mercenary at one point, <laughs> but he's he's been in the Andes and he said, you got to be kidding me. You were hiking in the Andes at... 14,000 feet at your age, you could have exploded your heart. It's <laughs> <laughs> about right. And I'm like, yeah, that's about right. Well, tell, tell our kids that. All we heard about is how slow we are. And <laughs> I just remember being at the bottom of that mountain and being like, you have a decision to make. You can go up this mountain or we're going back to the main island. <laughs> well, and you fought through it. You we fought through it. got through it and it was difficult getting there but once we were there at that airbnb it was awesome okay well i guess we're on to grits gratitude right yeah sure okay uh do you know what you're you have anything you're grateful for would you like to start well i'm grateful that you ladies invited me into the closet here Mm -hmm. to do a little travel (laughs) log and you know about the latest adventures and I am grateful that both of you are so active in your communities and trying to make a difference. And while I didn't want you arrested, I do see and do know, I should say, that sometimes it's inevitable when you're trying to change a system that maybe that will happen. So, So I am proud that you put yourself out there because a lot of people wouldn't and don't. I remember mom coming to visit me in Nashville. There was a book in her back seat that was like, how to deal with a nonconformist child or something. <laughs> I, something like that. I don't remember. Well, I mean, it didn't it do was, me any good to read it. So. <laughs> I mean, I think back to, you know, when I was younger or you raising me and thinking how much knowing that I would have turned out okay would have put you at ease and how you turned out okay. I was. <laughs> you turned out okay, really? <laughs> okay. <laughs> but just knowing that things would have been okay, I think would have, because I think for a long time it was like, oh, she's so yeah, loud and aggressive and Ugh. rebellious. And well, and yeah, and it's, yeah, it's okay. It's worked out, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> you found something you love to do that fits mm-hmm. your personality. And, yeah. and how precious is that? A lot of people can't say that in life. Yeah, that's true. So, and a lot of people can't say that. Well, after listening to your last podcast and that both of you are burned out, at least you're both enjoying <laughs> you're both enjoying what you do in life. That's true. And there's a lot mm-hmm. of people that go through life. I'd say I googled it <laughs> about how many people percentage wise actually say that they enjoy their jobs, and it's it's about twenty yeah. percent. So that means eighty percent don't like what they're doing. That's really sad to go through life doing something you don't want to be doing. Yeah, sure. So I think both of you are doing a great job that way. And I'm proud of both of you. So, and I'm grateful we were in here and the cats weren't putting their little paws under here and scratching at the door. Cause I would have felt bad. Well, they love to meet mama griddle. Um, I would say I'm grateful for both of you. Mm-hmm. Anna and I were able to see each other twice this past week in non closet spaces so it was really nice to hang out and to just be friends because Anna and I are friends, but we never get to see each other because I'm very busy. And then I'm grateful for my mom who comes and visits me uh, maybe once a month. 
and I she always brings goodies for the nuggets and the pugs and the nugs and the pugs and the puglets, all pineapple themed. So <laughs> grateful for that. <laughs> It's amazing how many pineapple things there are in the world. And I know the pineapple is the symbol for Southern hospitality, which is why you use that as your logo. But it really is amazing (laughs) how many pineapples there are. (laughs) Well, maybe we should get some dog merch, perhaps. I'm into it. Some cat merch. What are you grateful for, Anna? A lot of things. Like you said, I got to see a lot of friends um in the last week which was really great and you know I'm really proud of all the work you've done with the enough is enough group and I think like we really need people like you more people like you in the state um to do that work (laughs) oh stop being dramatic (laughs) oh that's something you left out of what I was trying to to work with you on as when you were little my drama your drama queen (laughs) stuff yeah (laughs) (laughs) so why we focused her into the musicals at school which seemed to help a bit and now she just uses kind of what she learned there but sometimes what she does For her theatric yeah <laughs> theatrical give me a wig i will give you a song <laughs> oh speaking of a song another thing i'm grateful for i went to a stand against racism event today um in the public square why did what, why of ywca yeah they had them all over the state and i was tabling but there was a prominent civil rights leader in Nashville who came up and led us in a song. And I just really like when we're on our business clothes and sitting there and focus on work and um, thinking about, you know, handing out our flyer and when we're going to eat lunch and whatever. But then for something like that, like music is so universal and it can just take you out of your head and connect you to a big group of people. And, um, you know, it was really emotional and and I'm really, you know, I'm really happy that I had that experience. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, so mom, what's the next trip that you'll be providing? Um, Dad and I are going to the northeastern U.S. I have seven <laughs> states that I have not seen yet that are on my bucket list to see. And we're going to see Maine, Vermont, New Hampshire. So that Ooh, comes Bernie, off my Bernie territory. bucket list. And only it's going to be cold there when we go, mm-hmm. which is in about two weeks because oh, yeah. it's so I far it's north. 40 degree. Yeah. It's yeah. And your dad's loving the thought of the cold. Of um, I live, my optimal is 72 degrees and sunny. <laughs> I was going to say Alex and I actually met in Vermont in January. Oh, oh wow. Skiing. Or, well, we were on a like school retreat for a group. And, um, we, you know, we had gone to school with each other for three semesters, I think at that point, but then we didn't actually meet each other until we like got to the location. So where was it in Vermont? I should know this. Like Stone? It was was a retreat center out in rural, you know. Oh, rural area. Yeah. Okay. uh, Well, I know most people like to go in the fall when all their leaves are changing, Mm -hmm. but for some reason we're a family, we always go off season. probably because it's cheaper (laughs) it's a lot cheaper and they're the main thing is not so many crowds Mm -hmm. so maybe and the thing is is this is in conjunction with our wedding anniversary Mm -hmm. so that's why we would go 12 (laughs) yes 12 nailed it nailed it also mother's day and your birthday on the 12th well in the same month that's not the same day but may 25th gemini yeah. My mom's May 6th. Oh, my oh. 6th. So she's beginning of the month. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What is Sandy going to be on the call? 
Yeah. Mom, are you listening? (laughs) Sandy, Mama Girl. It's her turn. I've had two times. That's right. Now it's your turn. Okay, so we'll have Anna's mom and May. I think she actually liked the last one because I was I was nice about her when I was. was Yeah, that was very complimentary. And it <laughs> oh about your mom and everything. Mm-hmm. And it was nice to, to hear all the things, wonderful things your mom has done. And I vouch yeah, for you being a homemaker, saying you should be making a quarter million dollars a year. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know that that supposedly they make that much, but but one thing you do leave out is that I'm a caregiver for That's right. an almost eighty three year old woman who's lived mm-hmm. with us for be four years this summer. Yeah, yeah. caregiving. So that's a job. Women, right? yeah, yeah, and, and that's another that's thing that one. falls on women mainly. Yeah. Besides childcare and domestic labor. And the price that we put on caregiving in this country is... Minimal. Abhorrent. Yeah. Yeah, it's minimal. What, you know, what's interesting, though, is, again, any country you go to in the world, the bulk of the work is done by the women. Of course. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and even out in the fields when you're looking at the rice paddies in Bali, who's out there working? It's the women with maybe a baby on their back. Mm-hmm. You know, or when I was in Kenya last year women bending over with baby on their back and who's herding the sheep sitting on a rock with a multitasking, multitasking in every country yeah the men so it's about the same mm-hmm. everywhere and i've always said that without women we'd have no civilization yeah we just want it we know it <laughs> who, who would clean who would keep things in order who would yell at everybody to keep who things get arrested in order? who would who would protest <coughs> well men do that too because I've heard Bernie Sanders did that in his college days. And sure, John Lewis, you brought up. Yeah, John Lewis, that's true. Yeah, a lot of people have done that in their that's time, true. men and women. Mm-hmm. So, because if something's right, it's right. If something's wrong, it's wrong. And racial discrimination is definitely wrong. So, right. Do you have a, a favorite in the presidential yet? No, I do not. Okay. But I did talk with that Canadian couple about, I said, Keep this person on your radar. Oh God, it's that Mayor Jack. Pete mm-hmm. Buttigieg. It's hard to say his Buttigieg, name. Yeah. And he's, I saw the last poll. He's like third in the polls. Does that bother you? Is you tensing I mean, he's got, <laughs> some, he's got some, some. I like, it's hard not to like him. It's, he, it's hard not to like so, him, but his policy yeah. proposals are. He's a bit very quick on his feet. Mm-hmm. And he's also. I would like to see a little more faith brought back into moral leadership, a leadership faith brought back into our world Mm -hmm. and in the Democratic Party, frankly. But I think in the 80s during Reagan, the Republican Party put the Bible in their back pocket. Right. And ever since then, they've labeled the Democratic Party as godless. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of people in the Democratic Party who are not godless and are people of faith. Mm-hmm. And I'd like to see more of that, you know, at least being talked about and people realizing that. I think I get tired of labels, I guess is what I'm saying, yeah. because it's it's all a labels all encompassing. And all of us know that there are gradations of everything in life. So that's, you know, my thought is keep an eye on that person. But no, I haven't. There's no one yet that I've decided on there and I do know that I can't vote for Trump especially after <laughs> especially after the Mueller report came out oh, yeah. and um all the goodies in there yeah mm-hmm. Ugh, uh, it's just nuggets. been I keep thinking if that were Hillary Clinton 
that the Mueller report was about, in other words, that she mm-hmm. had won the election, gotten to be president, the Republicans would have already been impeached her two years ago. Within the first year, they would have, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's very interesting that it's a lot of double standards. Yeah, there yeah. are. There but are. It's people. It's human behavior, and it's what do you do to get to what's right, and especially what's right for the country, what's best for the country. So this is another, maybe sometime you can do a book club kind of thing, but there is a book that I read. It's called How Democracies Die. Mm -hmm. And was that ever eye-opening? So, um, and it's not just about what's going on in our own country right now, but it's things that we are familiar with over history, what have happened in, especially a lot of South American countries. Oh, yeah. And what's going on in Venezuela. stage by. Yeah. North, United States. Right. Well, and what's going on in Venezuela right now, um, Ecuador, um, Peru. When Dad and I visited Peru in the 90s, um, you know, we knew stuff was going on then. So it's, and then Turkey is another one, Hungary. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot of these countries in the world that there's some concerns about. And unfortunately, we're kind of now on that list because of some things that have happened. So... Um, anyway, it's a good book to read. I I read it twice, so just to make sure, reader. make sure that what I read the first time, I really did read. And yeah. then, yeah, we should have a, a some type of yeah book club at all, or just a discussion, our- kind of a discussion, because I do think there's some some books that are very worthwhile, like that reading to give you an idea of things. So. Well, this has been interesting. I learned a lot. I never knew anything about Indonesia, so thank you, Mother. I didn't know about anything either till I got there. So it was the go-to language to take in college. We were required to take three semesters of a language, and Indonesian was the go-to language for varsity athletes because it was like very simple and like didn't have complex grammar or wow, anything. So really? it, was, like, it was considered like a an easy class. an easy yeah. class to take. And and fun. Wow. And like they would just all take it together. But yeah. So the athletes. Mm-hmm. So athletes speaking Indonesian. Yeah. Now that's really interesting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Or you yeah. Thank you, you know. for sharing that. I had no idea. <laughs> all right. Well we okay. are ending well this this will be debuted hopefully this week. Uh Anna and I actually I'll speak for myself. I will be attending Pod X at the end of May. So I hope to Promote the pod a little bit, just more than to my what boyfriend. What is Pod X? It's a, the premier podcasting festival, and it's Where happening is it? in Nashville. Oh, it's in Nashville. Yeah, oh. so I'm attending it's it. It's Anna's the birthday. weekend of my birth, my 25th birthday, and when I'm closing at my house. So, oh, so. that's not going to work. Yeah, I so I will be go, promoting but... the pod. I'll be promoting the pod. Uh, so, are you going to dress as a pineapple? <laughs> that's such well, a good idea. You should at least get a shirt or something. Yeah, I'll get some. I'll get some promo materials. Um, And you can take the the pug and put the little (laughs) pineapple T shirt on. I'll use Frankie as a pod. We'll get some promo videos. This Frankie's pineapple T shirt. That's perfect. Thank you, mom. So please like us on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, and share us with your friends. You know, once again, we don't want to be too big. To where, but maybe, you know. Too big and that you'd have to broadcast every week instead of every two weeks. But also, like, month. Anna and I would love to get our hair and makeup done every day. So, like, that's the goal. <laughs> <laughs> that happens on podcasts? Sometimes. Nobody sees you on a podcast. Why would you get your hair and makeup done? It's, we would transition to a visual. A visual. A visual. <laughs> 
That's a good point. Don't pug there smart, would be a, There would be a visual component to this pod. Thank get you. sponsored for uh, so, our Instagram stories. Yeah, so it would be like Dr. Phil McGraw, who exactly. now has his podcast, where it's, they're filming him it's with a whoever. Right, yeah. It okay. Would be, it'd be all of that. So please like us, uh, send us out to your friends, and we're grateful for you, and we will see you next time on the pod. Wayne and I will have a great episode. We're not quite sure what it is yet, but we will get it. <laughs> Open to suggestions. Maybe, maybe your mom. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Yeah, Sandy. Call her. All right. All right. Thank you so much, and we'll see you in two weeks. Bye. Bye.